Ready, steady, go. C -c 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 Coming at you live from Heat Wave 2020, April 2020. We got we got a temperature 95 degrees outside. Look at that. Welcome to Chronically Colon Narnia, a podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter in the wrong book order. Today we are discussing chapter 15 of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. This chapter is titled Deeper Magic from Before the Dawn of Time. Ooh. I am Aslan's warm golden back, also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host... Uh, I'm like a horse, kind of, though I don't really have the, the loud clippity-clop of the paws on pavement, and I don't, uh, instead of a chestnut color, I'm more of like a, like a golden, yellowish, sun, rose gold situation. I, I, I'm Chris. Um. <laughs> this is millennial pink, <laughs> Millennial Chris. pink, yeah. Golly gee, goodness, that was a lot. That took a while. Well, um, because my character is like the idea of a horse. Because th there's a whole page in this chapter that talks about how a lion is different than a horse, and I was just like, I resonate with that. You resonate with being different from a horse? It's really hot, okay? It's... <laughs> We are in the middle of a heat wave in April. A three-day-long heat wave. It's a bad one when we don't have air conditioning. Nobody in this city has air conditioning. Your father does. Your brother does. No, my brother doesn't. And or no, my brother, my father doesn't. My brother does, and neither of them are in this city. So. Uh -huh. I'm sure there are people up on that hill with Ace. Anyway, welcome. Uh, we are almost done with this sucker. We're yeah. in the final stretch, final three chapters. Yep, the final three chapters. This is chapter fifteen. We've got sixteen and seventeen left, and then we're gonna be uh, having a. Uh, couple of wrap-up episodes, I think. Two wrap-up episodes? I mean, I've got two guests lined up, and I don't know if they're going to be on at the same time, so we might have two I thought we had a up. guest lined up for book three already, you know? We're, I, we're... I don't know. She's done so much research already, I feel like <sighs> she wants in on this one, so. Okay. Um, so anyway, uh, let's go ahead and get into it. We'll probably have a lot to talk about this chapter. Let's go ahead and start off by reading our chapter summaries. If you're a long-time listener, you know the drill. This is where we go through and pick out five, sentence from the, five sentences from the chapter that we think uh, summarize it. And Maybe. Yeah. Kind of. That's basically a... At least give some impression uh, of the chapter. What it says on the 10. So, Kristen, why don't you go ahead and go first? All right. Mine might be the longest chapter summary I've ever written. You've got a whole half page of notes there. I do. Okay. Buckle up. The stone table was broken into two pieces by a great crack that ran down it from end to end, and there was no Aslan. There, shining in the sunrise, larger than they had seen him before, shaking his mane, for it had apparently grown back again, sorry, for it had apparently grown again, stood Aslan himself. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. 
And he crouched down and the children climbed onto his warm golden back. And Susan sat first, holding on tightly to his mane. And Lucy sat behind, holding on tightly to Susan. Next moment, the whole world seemed to turn upside down and the children felt as if they had left their insides behind them. For the lion had gathered himself together for a greater leap than any he had yet made and jumped, or you may call it flying rather than jumping, right over the castle wall. Yeah, I am. I wrote in my book, falling with style, next to that (laughs) sentence. I am genuinely surprised that we didn't choose any of the same sentences. For oh, that one. I'm not. I knew. Yeah. I knew when I picked long sentences that there was no way you were picking any of I the got, same sentences. I get some long sentences sometimes. I'm not a short sentence boy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you are a short sentence boy. Uh, anyway, so let's go ahead and jump into mine. It will not take long for us to crush the human vermin and the traitors now that the great fool, the great cat, lies dead. Every moment his dead face looked nobler, as the light grew and they could see it better. At that moment they heard from behind them a loud noise, a great cracking, deafening noise, as if a giant had broken a giant's plate. There, shining in the sunrise, larger than they'd seen him before, shaking his mane, for it had apparently grown again, stood Aslan himself. And with a great heave he rose underneath them and then shot off, Faster than any horse could go, downhill and into the thick of the forest. We did choose a sentence in common. Which one? There, shining in the sunrise, larger than they had seen. The one with the parenthetical that's like, for it had apparently grown back again. Somehow I messed that. And I messed up on it the first time I read it and said grown back again when it was just grown again. Yeah. No, we chose a sentence in common. Okay. There we go. So it's been a long time since I've read these books. I This book. You haven't read any of the other ones, right? Yeah. Um, I mean... Time is a flat circle. The universe is cyclical, like... <sighs> Probably read it before. You know, it's too hot for this kind of <laughs> deep thought. It's going to be like a 15-minute episode today because we just got to get out of the studio. It's too hot in here with the fan off. Yep, it is. Um, so anyway... Uh, if you yeah. do hear a fan, by the way, it's in the other room pointing at the door, and I am not editing it out. Yeah, it's a rough one. So... I had thought there was at least a, there is a chapter between Aslan's death and Aslan getting resurrected, but there's not. Nope. There is, there is all of the span of eight hours. At like there's most. like eight hours of time because it's at night. He gets a sacrifice in the stone table. He's dead. All the critters run off at the beginning of this chapter with the witch, and the girls hang out all night long, like. The chapter goes into a bit about how they're mourning and, like, how they can't deal with it. And, like, it talks a lot about grief and loss. But at the same time, like, it makes it seem like it's really, like, a quick little thing. But they're just hanging out, like, with the dead lion on top of this rock face for, like, eight straight hours. I don't feel like it's eight straight hours. Because we're talking about it being um, already dark when Aslan leaves. And everyone is already well asleep. Yeah. So if we say that everyone in the camp area settled down after, like, let's let's say that it got to be dark 7, 8 o'clock, everyone's actually settled and in bed by 10, uh-huh. and then Aslan and the girls walk, and it makes it seem like that walk takes a while, because it took the caravan an entire half day to get where they're going. Yeah. Now, traveling just three people versus a caravan is going to go faster, 
So it probably took them two hours at least to get back. It'd be one in the morning. They're only four hours from sunrise, five hours from sunrise yeah. by the time, you know, and Aslan's death didn't just happen real quick. They mocked him. They tied him down. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... I would say that the girls at most are there for four hours. Like, just from, like, a conception of all of the events that have happened in this night. Like, night started pretty a long time ago. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, if thematically, if we're going with the idea that maybe he was killed at midnight and that was a, there was a thing there. I don't know. Uh, Even not- if he was. Like, there's still sunrise, six hours, like... Um, so not really important. So... We open this chapter with everybody leaving after the lion's kill. They've had their party. Everybody goes, and the race and whatnot just slip by. And then the girls are left there with the lion's body, and they are mourning. And I thought you might have some things to say about the, the mourning that is, as it is depicted here. I did. I did appreciate the, the mourning. I am going to need your book because I didn't bring my copy in here. How could you? Yeah, so when we go into this kind of grief scene where we're sitting with the girls in grief, the um, narrator has a little aside and talks and says, I hope no one who reads this book has been quite as miserable as Susan and Lucy were that night. But if you have been, if you've been up all night and cried till you had no more tears left in you, you will know that there comes in the end a sort of quietness. You feel as if nothing was ever going to happen again. And that it, It's that second sentence that actually resonated with me in this yeah. moment of grief where yeah. it's like, you know, we're here still well entrenched in the quarantine and isolation of COVID-19 and people are like, you know, oh, I should be more protective or I know you should be grieving all of the things that you've lost and things like that. And I think that that second sentence really just kind of spoke to me of grief, of just, like, you feel as if nothing was ever going to happen again. Uh-huh. Like, that was that was the sentence that kind of just summed up this grief moment for me. Yeah. And it did it in a really well, in a really well formulated way, mm-hmm. which is completely contrary to the way that C.S. Lewis handled the emotions and the resolution and the grief and the forgiveness of Edmund returning and just being like, nope, don't talk about it. Feelings don't exist. But then also here he's handling grief in a completely different hand, completely different tone. And yeah, no, I appreciated the way that he kind of spoke about how he, like, I just really liked the way it was described. Yeah. And this is also like prior to his wife's death that he's writing this like mm-hmm. a, a lot of people are like I got it confused and I needed to go look it up and you helped me with that but like for me I like when I think of C.S. Lewis I think of him as someone who mourned the loss of a spouse and that didn't happen she didn't pass for 10 years after he wrote this book I mean uh, I mean they they only got married in 1956 oh so they, they were, were he wasn't even years. married yet yeah so he he wasn't even married to his wife in order to grieve her death yeah. when he's talking about this kind of grief. Yeah. So I don't know. We'd have to find out what other grief that he had sustained in his life because this feels like it's coming from a person who experienced a childhood grief yeah. I mean, and, and understands that children experience grief in this way. Yeah. I mean, at that point, we, we I don't want to do all the research, but at that point he could have lost his parents already or, you know, you know he's probably dealt with 
loss of some kind. We really should know more about the man who wrote these books, having already done, you know, over 30 episodes about mm-hmm. these books. That, that's why we have our expert consultant, Steve, uh, on speed dial. <laughs> All right, call Steve. Can we... Can we I, I will call him up under the condition that we put him on speakerphone and we clear it with him before that he answers the phone and says it's the commissioner. <laughs> um, that's that's the only way we do this. Oh, but, oh man. <laughs> so anyway. Um, yeah, so go on. Where, where Did you have more to say or... No, I mean, I, I, I needed to settle on what um, the timeline was here. Um, so yeah, then um, the next thing that really happens after the whole morning period takes place is we, we see the sunrise start to happen. Uh, thank you for fanning me over there. <laughs> You're doing a great job of doing that silently. Uh, we see the sunrise kind of slowly start to take shape. It's just before the dawn rises, and as we know, it's always darkest just before the dawn. Yes, but, I mean, before we get all the way to sunrise, I want to talk about two things. In the middle of the night, something happens. Oh, and there's there. also well, no that that happens well before sunrise. Well, you you jumped ahead. The sky in the east is getting light. By okay. the time, but we're we're not emphasizing the lightness of the sky. We're emphasizing the dwindling of the stars. Uh huh. So the way that it's being described thematically and in just kind of like a, a a structure here. Yeah. The the stars are fading, and there is one bright star sitting right above the horizon. And I, I wanted to talk about some of the symbolism of that because we have this field of stars, mm-hmm. which are among some of the first things Aslan called into being in the creation of Narnia. Mm-hmm. And so we have just this field of stars and the stars start fading and winking out because it is lightning in the sky um, and the sun is going to be rising soon. But it keeps, it references two or three separate times in the chapter, a single bright star near the horizon. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you if you felt like that was symbolic, because stars have a ton of symbolism in so much literature. But is there something specific that you feel like, do you feel like that one star represents the witch? Do you feel like that one star represents Aslan? Because clearly Aslan is going to be represented by the sun rising. So is that representing hope? Faith, trust, what is that representing? Is that rep- is that representing the deep magic that is fading as the deeper magic is coming to su- su- surplant? Sur- su- supplant? Is supplant? that the word you're looking for? No, it's not. Suppress? No, it's coming to replace it, but what? Supersede? Supersede, maybe. That might be <sighs> the one. I'm going through all this words. I don't know, it's too hot. Uh-huh, it is. Um, I mean, if you want to get really, really literal with it, uh, one of the names is G- of Jesus is he is the bright morning star. So, Which is Venus, right? That's yeah. the, the one that is the last light yes. that we lose before the sun rises. Yeah, so that's a very, like, yeah, on-the-nose symbolism. Well, and I was thinking it was very Venusian uh-huh. um, in its description. Anyway, it just seems like... The, I, it, it seems like the narrator's going out of his way to point out this morning star, this last star. And yeah, I'm, it, it is also very analogous and symbolic with that Jesus morning star imagery um, from the Christian tradition that Lewis is, is coming out of. But we also, um, I don't know, whatever. Go ahead. 
I, I, I tried to take us on a thing, and it didn't pan out. So that's what I thought. Um, I was also reading this, like, my brain doesn't work very well on hot days. Like, I grew up in this weather. This is what I was molded by and shaped by it. Um, <laughs> but my brain still fails to function when it's very hot out. And so I was reading through this passage, and it was like, all the stars were starting to fade except for one bright one on the horizon, and my mind immediately went to, is that one the sun? <laughs> because because that, that, that would be like a fun sunrise moment for us. Like if we ever got up early enough together to watch the sunrise, we can go and be like, oh, all the stars are fading away. There's one. That's a big one over there. Oh. Um, anyway, so that was a fun moment, moment, but that was about a, as much as my brain uh, could do with the symbolism of that moment. <laughs> okay, yeah. so other than the symbolism, mm -hmm. we have a moment uh, in the middle of the night where the ki the two uh, girls are mourning over Aslan, Aslan's corpse, and the, that would be a name for a band, uh -huh. Aslan's corpse. Uh -huh. It's like death metal. Um, and so... In this moment, they start to see motion and realize that it is dozens, if not hundreds, of field mice that have come. And and Susan thinks that they are trying to eat Aslan's corpse, which is a, a reasonable concern. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, not that field mice go around eating lion corpses on a regular basis, but, you know. I don't know. Maybe that's why elephants are afraid of mice. Maybe. They eat the dead lions. Uh-huh. Um, but the, <laughs> the mice come and start eating and gnawing on the ropes that have bound Aslan down. Yeah. And this becomes... I, I don't know if it's necessary. Like, this is a question that I have. Is it necessary that he be unbound before he can rise? Like, because the deeper magic is already in play because yeah. as this the sentence I chose said, like she would have known if she had looked into the old ma magic, the deeper magic, the witch would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. Like Aslan knew this uh -huh. and this was Aslan's intention. Yes. And still, we have this moment where he has to be unbound. And, like, Aslan almost makes it apparent that he doesn't know how it's going to pan out? Yeah. Question mark. But anyway, my question, we can come back to the actual thematic elements, is why didn't the girls bring their knife and their horn with them or anything like that? Like... Seems like it'd be useful in this Lucy, situation. Lucy didn't bring the knife, and they're sitting there, like, fighting, trying to get the ropes, and they're too tight, and they can't get them, and the mice have to come. Why do the mice have to come? Is this a symbolic representation of angels or something like that, where they have to come and, and care for and tend to Aslan's corpse? Uh -huh. Like, what is that? Anyway, go ahead. Your thoughts. Um, I mean, I feel like the ropes are, are very, again, very obvious symbolism. I don't think there's a lot of, like, deep, have-to-dig-into-it symbolism in this chapter. I think it's all very surface level. Like, I think the, the ropes very much are, you know, being bound in death. And, you know, that's they, they symbolize death, and death is being undone. And that's kind of a thing there. See, I like, took them to be more representative. I mean, if we're making this a straight one-to-one -one Aslan is Jesus analogy. Which is really, is the most obvious and heavy-handed in this chapter. Yes. 
But I took that very much to like the binding of the ropes to be the taking on of the sin of mankind as possible. You know, because yeah. we had Aslan in the garden mm-hmm. and then Aslan going to his death. Yeah. And they're the nails in the cross. I, I mean, Basically. I was taking them more to be not like the lashes or the nails or the instruments of death, but more mm-hmm. like representative of the sin of Edmund, the, the weight of the treachery. Uh-huh. Like the responsibility for that. Yeah. And then they have to be undone by the mice in order for him to be r- risen again. So I don't know. Like, I... I'm probably reading it all wrong, and there's probably a very clear answer that someone living in air conditioning would understand, but, you know. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Um, so, mice come in all the, uh, the ropes away, and then, you know, we have more mourning, and, you know, the girls... And then we have mourning! <laughs> without the you! Uh, <laughs> you can't spell mourning without you! Oh, yes, you can. Yep, you can. Um, so, yeah, we have the morning comes and the, the dawn breaks. And as we all know, uh, the dawn is basically when the, the slate gets gets wiped clean of all, like, residual magic. Uh, and it's very... It's a very important it's time. It's a very important time world. in the magical world. It's renewal. <laughs> it's rebirth. Uh-huh. I mean, and you're laughing <laughs> because this is a, is a direct quote from multiple... Dresden Files books. Yes. But, like, outside of of that, as we wait for the next book to come out in two and a half months. Jim Butcher, if you ever listen to this, you're welcome. <laughs> I know you were struggling to get those out you're there. Gonna, you need to get that chronically bump. <laughs> um, so, no, like, but this idea of the dawn is not just, you know, restricted in symbolism to one specific story or even one specific mythology. Like, the dawn is representative of rebirth and renewal in poetry and writings, in mythologies, in entire, like, pantheons. There are gods of the sun, and the sunrise is a moment of, like, renewal for their power. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, there's even a Star Trek episode about it. Come on, guys. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, we have all of these different examples of the dawn being, you know, the same way that we have spring being a well-hammered-down metaphor for rebirth and renewal. Like, as Aslan comes, we have spring being, and then we have this morning, and then we have sunrise, and that's the moment that, the deeper magic is broken by the deeper magic from yeah. before the dawn of time. And I want to talk... Uh, dawn of time. And I want to talk... It was a, dawn. Yes. When the deep magic from the, the dawn, dawn of time yeah. was broken by the deeper magic from before the dawn of time. <laughs> yeah. At dawn. You, wow. you good? I'm good. Okay. It's hot. Uh-huh. I'm just going to go get a cup of ice to hold against my neck. Uh-huh. Anyway... So, before we get into the deeper magic, and I do have something to bring up here because it was a thing that bothered me. Did we have this me? moment uh, where the stone table breaks, and let's talk a little bit about that. Um, again, really one-to-one metaphors with Jesus in this whole chapter. Uh, the stone table breaking very clearly, the tearing of the veil and the, See, the Holy but, of Holies. And I disagree 
Well, I guess maybe I don't. I just, <laughs> I want to find a parallel to another religious tradition or another literary example because Lewis uses so many literary references and has such a full knowledge of mythologies and cultures that it's kind of frustrating to me that like everything about this writing is mm. just reduced to an analogy of Jesus yeah. because it's held so tightly by the Christian community as this is this belongs to us yeah. and like i cs lewis was a learned man yeah. in 1950s europe mm. writing this book in 1950 europe in england writing this book Mm -hmm. He, he, he had study and he had knowledge and like, I think that this is part of what, like when Steve was referencing how Tolkien notoriously didn't like Lewis's writing, like I'm trying to figure out if it's because Lewis leaned into this Christian analogy so hard uh-huh. or if it's because it's so easy to reduce, and I, I'm using that word loosely, but to reduce this story down into an analogy of the Christian story, when these kind of salvation narratives, these kind of Messiah narratives exist in so many other cultures and so many other mythologies and stories, like there is this Messiah story in virtually every religion. There are figures that have this messianic character. Uh-huh. And so this is part of why I get so frustrated when you always want to talk about Christian theology because there is so many other representatives of this same concept within yeah. other literature that it almost feels reductive to say Aslan's Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I I know before the great rewrite of 1994, uh, <laughs> the, the re-release, there was a lot of references to Norse mythology and symbolism in this book. I don't know a lot about Norse mythology. Like, I've looked into it. Uh, the problem with Norse mythology is that so much of it is missing. Mm, like, that's true. Yeah, same with Celtic. Yeah. But also, yeah. Like, like it's, it's estimated that all the information we have right now comprises probably 20% of what Norse mythology actually consisted of. Mm. There's just a lot of stuff we don't know. Um, I've been listening to multiple podcasts and reading books and stuff to try to get a better grip background in, in mythology partially to to better understand literary references to it and whatnot and to get more into this right now i'm focusing on like the greek myths uh yeah i'm listening to a i'm listening to a new podcast exclusively about uh the greek mythology and history of that where one all is that called stuff. myths and legends no, right that no. one is myths and legends is more of a mixed podcast that covers all sorts of different things uh which i, I enjoy thoroughly yeah. but what's I'm the one about listen, greek specific going through one now called myth understood <laughs> that's <laughs> it's a great good. And it's a great name that's good uh and they're doing just entirely like the story of the greek pantheon which is fascinating um so again not an expert in that either so i can't really speak to anything that lewis might have been trying to to convey here as a more educated person than i am uh yeah, but I mean, yeah. like, that's part of the problem that I have with, like, and like I said, I, I use the term reductive in respect to Christianity and that this is very much seen as a Jesus analogy. Mm -hmm. But, like, 
it seems reductive of the knowledge that this author had of oh. illusion and, and different things that he could have been alluding to and the structures that this kind of mythology falls into. This mm-hmm. is very much an archetype story. Mm-hmm. We have the traitor who becomes the just king. We have the gentle... Uh, we have the very logical person who becomes this kind of gentle and nurturing person. We have this kind of dom- domineering person who becomes this magnificent person and this very demure person becoming valiant. And I'm referring to all of those titles that I keep bringing up. But yeah. like we have all of these almost heroes journeys for each character as they change into these same kind of like archetypes. Uh-huh. But the, uh, okay, I this has completely gotten away from me and I don't know where I was going <laughs> with it. But like this is, yes, so we're, Okay, we're uneducated on the mythologies that we could reference outside of Christianity. Well, in a very general sense, though, like that, I mean, that's, there's something to be said for the fact that it could be taken as mythology. And something that I have learned in my brief studies is that within mythology and part of the way, you know, why it's defined as such versus like a fairy tale or like a legend and all these other different names for basically the same thing. Is because mythology has a lot of different versions of events usually, and like it's kind of a com- it's kind of like a compilation collage type thing where we generally take like the most repeated and the most well understood version of things. But like specifically getting into like Greek mythology, there's ten different versions of every story. Oh yeah, and like it, people and places and things and items and stuff change from version to version to version. Oh, yeah. The general core of the story and the, the things that happen remain the same, but all the supporting details are kind of left up to the teller. Yeah. It's like this person is this person's son, yeah. but also <laughs> this person's son. Yeah. But also this person's son. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so that being said, like, in this story, we can take it like that, and we can say, oh, yeah, uh, in this version, Aslan was bound by these ropes to the table and, you know, the mice came and chewed it away. You know, I have a version of this story where, you know, Lucy brought her knife with her and cut him free. And, you know, somebody else has a version that's the rated R after dark version where Aslan is nailed to the stone table with giant stakes in his paws. Mm-hmm. Like, these are all things to tell. The important part here is that Aslan is attached to the stone table which is the symbol of sacrifice. Yeah, and he, even if he became alive again, he would still be bound to it. Yes. Um, See, look, I came to a conclusion. Like, we worked through there. You did. No, no, no. (laughs) Like, and I I think that, yeah, it is important that he is released from his bounds, but I want to know what the bounds represent. But Mm -hmm. whatever. Sometimes the curtains are just blue. I know that's what you're going to say. So so, we have the sunrise. Yes. (laughs) So the sunrise, and I wrote down in my notes, dawn of time with quotes around it, because we have many references to the dawn of time from two chapters ago, from Uh the dawn of time in this chapter. And prior to us reaching the sunrise, I want to talk about, well, no, I'm sorry, it's after the sunrise. So the sunrise happens, and the girls have been walking back and forth to keep themselves warm. Uh Because as you said, it's darkest before the sunrise. Yeah. And that is, it's coldest as well. Uh-huh. And so I could use with some pre-sunrise temperatures right now. Um, <laughs> I 
we ever have like an ice cream parlor, we can call it pre-sunrise. Because um, that's a dream of ours. We're yep. going to have an ice cream parlor. Yep, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a good name. No, it's not. It's not. It's 87 degrees. It's not a good name. Um, so we have the sunrise happen while the girls are facing the sea with their backs to the stone table. Mm-hmm. And the stone cracks, like you said, like a giant dropping a giant plate. <laughs> Which is not one of Lewis's best analogies. <laughs> That's not an an analogy. That's a simile because it uses like or as. Yeah. If it didn't, it would be a metaphor, not an analogy. But it's a terrible simile. It is a terrible. I read that and I was just like, because we all know what that sounds like. I know, right? Like, (laughs) I know exactly what it sounds like when a giant drops a giant's plate. You know. I can imagine that it sounds like when I drop my plate. But louder yeah. and bigger. Yeah, I guess. If he, but if he I had also said, don't think so. Uh-huh. If he had said what? If he had said thunder, it would have been two on the nose. Oh um, uh, yeah. Uh, or like an earthquake. I was I was trying to remember all the things that happen when uh, the moment that thunder, Jesus dies. Thunder, lightning, earthquake. Yeah. yeah. Darkness, veil tears, etc. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, so the stone table cracks, again, very symbolic, uh, I would say, on the first level. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, the the veil in the temple tearing in half. Uh, but also, in more in general, just symbolic. The table is death. The table is uh, the, the original law. Maybe the table is the law. The table is the dominion of the witch. This is where she kills traitors. This yes. is her... her field of work this is where she gets to have dominion Mm -hmm. and he has just broken the authority that the witch had from the great emperor across the the sea like she had the authority from the great emperor to kill traitors on this table and aslan just took that table away from her (sighs) yeah um so this is a good time to talk about my gripe with the deeper magic from before the dawn of time tell Uh, us about it i have brought it up and I'll read directly from the book. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. And that is a weird thing to write into the laws of the universe. <laughs> that, like this so, is before time existed. What it's saying, <laughs> what I read it as, uh-huh. is that there is a universal overriding sense of and a sense of justice. Uh-huh. If you would say that, like, justice is just like a factor of like pre-existence uh-huh uh, now like i don't know i don't know <laughs> yeah. but like <laughs> what i feel like this is saying is there is this idea of sacrificial i i'm gonna put love in air quotes but this idea of sacrificial love is is overriding of justice and is overriding of law and magic and everything and like 
even the deep magic that the witch witnessed the birth of Narnia out of uh-huh. and grew in because of her eating the apple from Magician's Nephew and all of this as she came up in it. Like, this is where she has been sitting in. Uh-huh. And, like, within that, you have this kind of idea that there is a pre existing contract of existence that says sacrificial love wins yeah and so i i don't know like love wins yep um and so it just i don't know it feels like it's very much being like this is the deeper magic from before the dawn of time this is a basic rule that existence builds off of that predates existence that predates the idea of even like the stars you know okay yeah so i mean like i feel like that's part of it where it's just like if she had read deeper which i don't know what that means but like Uh if she had leaned more into knowledge of the emperor across the sea i don't know like if she had leaned more into understanding Diggory's willingness to give up the apple to save his mother and the magician's nephew and, like, all of that that came out of that, I don't know. Like, yeah. I mean, overall, this this whole thing paints a very, like, metal picture of, like, the Narnia universe. And, like, what what's engraved on the scepter of God? Traitors are going to die. Like, holy crap. Like, that, <laughs> this is a hardcore universe. And, like, magic written into the code of reality before the dawn of time... That, you know, if if a noble son is killed in place of a traitor, death is going to be reversed. Like, wow. <laughs> I don't know. Like, that, it, it's a hardcore universe that this this story takes place in. Um, anyway, I got excited there. You did. Um, you did a good job. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, we, we're running short on time. We need to get a move on. Okay, so, well, um, um, <laughs> Aslan shows up. As, like, the girls turn around, they see the tables cracked. They're like, who stole the body? You know, because they're the disciples, obvi. Who stole the body? Um, they're the women at the tomb. Uh-huh. And then Jesus, then Aslan, sorry. Then Aslan shows up, and he is more alive. He's bigger. He's goofier. He plays tag with them. Like, and, and Lucy can't describe it as playing with a thunderstorm or a kitten. Like... He is just full of life and power and whatnot. power and just presence and life. And he's, you know, they have this moment of like tentative, like, is it you? Are you really alive? And like, yes, no, touch my mane. Um, Put your finger in the wounds in my hands. All right. Um, and then Aslan is just like, I get on my back. We got somewhere to be. And he just starts running through the woods. Now, I, I don't know why, but I've always pictured this as flying. Yeah. And I know that at some point Aslan flies with someone on his back. Yeah. It is one of the cover images of the books in your box collection. <laughs> uh-huh. But, like, so if you're just looking at the books, that's already there. Um, but Spoilers. Stop. Uh, um, it is a cover image from a book. Yeah. Um, so he is running through the woods and i've always remembered this back as if he was flying but he wasn't apparently he was running and it was like riding a horse and like your self-titled existence here was 
and he it's gonna be that gets the, all the way to the witch's castle and it's the first time that the girls have seen it and they say it looks like a toy castle yeah um which is very much just like put in to hammer home the idea that the witch's power has been stripped from her yeah and it's very heavy-handed metaphor that her castle is this toy castle. Mm-hmm. And then they get up to the castle and it's like, oh, there's no one looking out any of the windows. There's no life here. And then Aslan jumps over the wall and the girls fall off. Yeah. Oh, oops. And they're now in the courtyard full of statues, the end of the chapter. So I want to talk a couple, about a couple things here. Uh, so one that I want to talk about is I wanted to touch briefly on the divergence here uh, in you know the, the Aslan as Jesus analogy. Uh, where before we have a very, you know, very easily followed one-to-one kind of situation with the death and resurrection of Christ, et cetera, et cetera. Here we, we go a different direction. And I want to touch on a couple things. Uh, so in the Bible, in the Jesus story, when Jesus comes back, you know, the, it kind of keeps up with where Aslan's at. Well, I guess Aslan keeps up with where Jesus is at. One of these books was written 2,000 years after the other one. Um <laughs> So Aslan comes up, uh, keeps up with where Jesus is at because he's new and full of life and vigor, and we have the same thing in Jesus coming back with the new body and like renewed and glorious uh, rebirth. I see where you're going. In order to save time, can I say yeah. that is it possible that this idea of going to the witch's stronghold in order to do something, uh-huh. we'll find out in the next chapter. Uh-huh. That this might be analogous with the, I, I believe it is a universally a Catholic idea, but it might just be specific. Yes, specific. I know what you're talking. I was getting there. I okay, was yeah, and to I'm talk trying to this. save time. But like, is this? I, I wasn't getting there. I had a point to get to before that. Before that, I wanted to say there's an interesting divergence in the fact that the girls are like getting on Aslan's back. He's like, "Come on, get on. We got to go." Whereas in the Jesus story and Jesus's rebirth, he shows up. He talks to the disciples. He's just like, yeah, it's me. I'm alive. Resurrection's a thing. You guys are cool, right? Then kind of takes off. Aslan here is just like, no, we got crap to do. Like, you come with me. We gonna go do something. To the next chapter uh, stuff. We gotta go to the next chapter stuff. Like, he, he takes a very active role. And he's just like, all right, I'm back, ready for action. I'm gonna actually start doing the stuff that I was supposed to do in the first place. And, and that's that's an interesting character departure from the Aslan as Jesus kind of situation. Yeah, I get it as a character departure, but I see it as this other narrative. Yeah. Of and then the, the other this thing... This being Aslan is still yeah, so, in the tomb. Yeah, so I was going to bring this up where it's a Catholic doctrine uh, that I always thought was really cool. That I know, agree. <laughs> I think I agree that it's a really um, cool. Sadly, like not in any way biblical or supported by anything whatsoever. But this idea that you know what was Jesus doing during the three days that he was dead to the Protestant Christianity, he's just you know we don't have an answer to that question. The Catholics stepped in and are like, no, Jesus went down and stormed the gates of hell. Like Jesus throws open the gates of hell and goes and rescues all the sinners that died before he brought salvation, which is like a really cool story. Mm-hmm. Like, really want to believe that it's based on nothing, so I don't. But that's kind of the analogy we get here with... Can You've hit that like <laughs> four times. Sorry, I'm being animated. I know, and no one can see you. I'm not even looking at you. I know. You. I'm trying to... It, it, it helps with being hot. 
Anyway. <laughs> to move no. more. And that's the analogy here where uh, Aslan, and you came to the same conclusion, Aslan is going to hell, the witch's castle, the witch's domain. And he's going to do some stuff. And all those people. And we're not going to spoil the next chapter. Yeah. And all those people that were damned before were going to do something. Yeah. Um, Okay, so all of the stone that's, people. That's what we happens. We went to the stone table. Now we're going to the stone people. Any anything you want to? Anything else you want to say? Um, nope. Let's get to our rewrites. Okay, my rewrites super oh, short. Uh, uh, maybe you should go first then. Oh, well, we usually alternate, but your if yours is super. I mean, mine's short as well. Go ahead. But I think mine's really good. Okay, why were you grabbing the book instead of your notes? Because I had to get grab the book to get the notes. From oh, okay. That's so a... we do a uh, rewrite. <laughs> Where we take five cha- five five chapters and summarize this book. We <laughs> take buckle up. <laughs> five sentences, pluck them out of the context of the chapter, and write a new story. We um, skipped last week out of respect for Dead Aslan, and um, this week we're back at it um, because Aslan's it. not dead anymore. You, you want me to go ahead and. All right, so you're going to go ahead and read your rewrite. This is you telling a new story and some kind of creative exercise. And it's really hot, so I don't expect much from you. Go ahead. Okay. I don't expect much from me either. That wasn't a dig at you. I'm sorry. Uh As soon as the wood was silent again, Susan and Lucy crept out onto the open hilltop. Each of the girls noticed for the first time the white face of the other. Aslan looked more like himself without them. She couldn't bring herself to say the word ghost. They felt colder than they had been all night. Ooh, I like <laughs> it. I like it. They're ghosts. Uh-huh, that was my idea. Also, the moment where, like, she wouldn't say the word ghost when she's yeah. faced with Aslan is like, are you, are you, are you, and she couldn't bring herself to say the word ghost just, like, put me into mind of, like, the actual origin of the word ghost. Um, really? I don't yeah. know anything about this. Oh, okay. Um, it, the root word for ghost is the same root word as the word guest and also host. Uh-huh. It's ghosty, which, uh, huh. which is the same root word that we got all of these ideas of guest, host, and ghost all from. And so when you think about how similar they sound, there's a reason for it. It's because they actually come from the same root word. And so the origin of all of these words is the same root, where Mm -hmm. there's this idea that a ghost is a guest presence, not necessarily an unwanted presence, but a guest that is hosted. Anyway, sorry, so the tangent there. But coming back. That's a fun thing. Uh, yeah, that was that was kind of my idea, where they're ghosts and they're dead, and Aslan is this figure that is now existing without them. Yep, I like it. I like so. it a lot. Also, the neighbor has started hammering something. Oh, well. All right, here's my rewrite. And Aslan stood up, and when he opened his mouth to roar, his face became so terrible that they did not dare to look at it. What's that? said Lucy, clutching Susan's arm. Is it magic? Then he made a leap high over their heads and landed on the other side of the table. A mad chase began. Okay, so you're just fun and whimsical. I don't know. I was intending for it to be more that uh, Aslan was this figure, fear-inducing 
like Aslan stood up and roared and they were, he was so terrible they didn't dare look at him and Lu- Lucy's response is to clutch onto Susan. <laughs> and like, But the issue is that he leaps over the table to the other side, specifically in that sentence, but I couldn't find a better sentence to be like, he was running towards them. Mm. Like, I don't, I don't know. I was trying to make Aslan a bad guy in mind, but it, I failed. Obvi. Um, huh. Punchy. All right. Um, so before we bore our listeners, let's go ahead and just do our final thoughts here. Uh, we Chris, usually give us a rating for this chapter. Out of what, Kristen? Out of broken giant plates. <laughs> a lot of food you could fit on those plates. Yep. Anyway. A lot of food. <laughs> so this chapter is very. I th- I did not in any way want to actually put in the work to find this out. I feel like this. Uh, by word count is the longest chapter in the book like at least the way that it's written in my book that it's very very dense okay like and i feel like there's a lot of words and a lot of descriptions in this chapter and it's very long but not a lot happens except the most important thing in the entire book like aslan comes back he charges off he become you know he's going to become the hero this is going to be the 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 most important like this is the climax and so i have to give it points for that um the descriptions of grief and are are apt Mm -hmm. they're good they have emotions unlike that last terrible chapter that we talked about where nobody has emotions whatsoever which chapter was that i blocked it out Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i don't know but like the description of emotion here is actually pretty decent um we have a really bad simile with the giant plate thing but i you know it's my rating system so i can't fault it too much (laughs) aslan actually does stuff he comes back from the dead like he demonstrates power he roars and trees get knocked over like this is the first time we see him doing something cool and this is him becoming the aslan that we know and love from the magician's nephew (laughs) because you know that's that's where we're supposed to be introduced to him yeah i don't know um uh, and yeah uh there, there is one thing that happens in this chapter, but it happens well, I guess. Uh, we, we do waste an entire page by talking about how a lion is different than a horse, which is a really weird tangent for him to go on. It's just like, let me talk real at length about this, ho- this lion ride that they take, which I guess is kind of like for the, the whimsical fun of it. Where it's like, oh, it's a children's book. We're going to talk about what it's like to ride in a lion. Wee! Yeah, but... and I mean, there's also <laughs> just like this... <laughs> it pr- further proof that this chat this book is very much not written in a way that children today can relate to like have you ever ridden on a horse me personally no yeah however we we do live in a town where i see people riding on horses frequently yes that, uh, by true. the side of the road like this is i a- have been on a horse yeah but i have never ridden on a galloping horse like i've li- i've been on the back of a horse that was literally just wandering around in a field that yeah. I couldn't get to go at all besides yeah. just stepping a few steps at a time and sniffing the dirt. Mm-hmm. Like, I I wasn't on a trail or being guided around. I just sat on a horse. Is that a, is that a bucket list item for you, riding a horse? Like, an actual, like, let's go on a horse ride and... Mm. It seems like it'd be fun. Like, it'd be fun to do. See, if I rode a horse and I loved it, I'd have to get my own saddle. <laughs> Uh, again, we're running really long. Jeez, we're supposed to do a short podcast. Uh, so yeah, does it really well. It's fine. Four broken giant plates out of five. There you go. We, it's a considerable step up from the last one. Any final thoughts? 
No, I think we covered it all pretty well. Um, uh, You're going to give it like the giant remains of a chicken wing that fell with that giant plate? No, I was going to give it half of a broken stone table at least. Ooh. Is, is, is a broken... Is that like... Is the, Can you stop? Was the stone table a giant's plate? Is was that the or is that where it came from? Is it? Is it? <laughs> Are there giants in Narnia? When's there we have there's literally been, every there's other. There's been a reference to a giant, yeah. right? There was a giant present at Aslan's death, wasn't yeah, there in the last like chapter? That. Okay, cool. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for indulging us in our heat stroke uh, <laughs> uh, oddities. And if you are interested in contributing in some way, a rewrite, a rating, or perhaps your fan art of the stone table as a giant's broken plate, um, you can hit us up at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram or at Chronically Pod on Twitter. You can email us at uh, chronicallypodcast at gmail.com and we will be happy to interact with you in any of those formats. Chris, do you have any other thoughts before I just say bye? I do not. Don't close yourselves in any wardrobes, kids. Don't forget to wipe your sword. Ciao. It will not take long for us to crush the human vermin and the traitors now that the great fool, the great cat, lies dead. The Tiger King, some call him. We don't interrupt our each other <laughs> summer. This is never a thing that we've done. <laughs> My character is like the idea of a horse. Because there's a whole page in this chapter that talks about how a lion is different than a horse, and I was just like, I resonate with that. You resonate with being different from a horse? It's really hot, okay? It's... <laughs> 95 degrees outside. Look at that. So I was only 87 today. How you doing? Alright, let's actually start. <laughs> See that? That's a good voice. For... I get some long sentences sometimes. I'm not a short sentence boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, you are a short sentence boy. <laughs> so much for your paying attention. Ha 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 We know I don't do that. Anyway, so... What? <laughs> So um, don't talk about my husband that way. <laughs> Whatever. Sometimes the curtains are just blue. I know that's what you're gonna say. Well, the stars were starting to fade, except for one bright one on the horizon, and my mind immediately went to, "Is that one the sun?" <laughs> because. <laughs>